Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. And I think I was just mentioning to Drew... You know, there wasn't a whole lot of news this week, but then you corrected me on that. In fact, you, you, you broke a story Thursday of last week, right? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a pretty good story that all of our, mm-hmm. okay. our listeners will love to hear, mm-hmm. which is that Chris Sanders is back at DreamWorks Animation with a brand new movie called The Wild Robot. Yeah, hugely exciting news. That is. I mean, again, it's so funny. Just the other day, I was thinking I have a run of almost all of Chris Andrews' sketchbooks from Comic-Con. Uh, and again, I was thinking, ooh, I need to get the most recent one. But then I thought, why haven't we heard from Chris Andrews in a while? So this is great news. Do we know anything about the Wild Robot? Or? Yeah, of course. It is a movie based on a New York Times bestselling book by Peter Brown. Mm-hmm. And it follows a robot called Rosam 7134, Roz for short, mm-hmm. a futuristic robot that washes ashore on a deserted island. According to the official synopsis, it is a tale of survival and discovery that begins when she becomes the unexpected protector to an orphaned gosling, which she names Brightbill. Together, they struggle to survive the harsh environment, but only succeed with the help of a close-knit group of animal misfits who become first friends and then family. Ultimately, Roz and company save the island from a robotic invasion by Roz's manufacturer looking to bring her back to civilization by any means necessary. Wow, that's a great story. It is a great story, and it's got a great voice cast, which I was not Mm -hmm. allowed to announce uh, Mm -hmm. during this, but I will say that... Mm -hmm outstanding voice cast who they have cast as Roz as well as some of the animals is really really special so oh yeah well I mean I I have to say this makes me so happy because again I've been watching for example the construction of Epic Universe in Florida and and they've really gone to town on the how to train your dragon area of that park I mean that just you know there's the stuff everything else is is bare buildings but you know they've got the the Viking totems and the the longboats being built and it looks amazing. So it just, oh, it's so nice to hear uh, Chris Sanders is coming back to DreamWorks. That's great news. Wow! And wouldn't you okay. know that the book is the first in a series of three books? So oh. should the movie be a success, we might well, see more. There we go. All right. Yes. And, and speaking of seeing, well, I don't know if we're going to see more of this. I mean, uh, did you catch the thing? Earlier this morning, and, and when I say early, I mean early, because it was 9.30 a.m. my time, so it would have been 6.30 your time. But the the Toy Story Fun Day football thing, I don't even know how to describe what, what the Walt Disney Company and ESPN did uh, this time around. It, it's, it was basically a an animated version of a real football game that had that was held at Wembley Stadium in London between the Atlanta Falcons and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Only the version that they broadcast on live on Disney Plus was animated and set in Andy's bedroom. Like yes, that Andy from the Toy Story 
films. Did did you get to see any of that today? Or I I saw I saw TJ posting some bits of it on Pixar posts social mm-hmm. media channels because I was not up at six thirty today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it looked kind of cool, but also kind of nightmarish. You yeah. hit the Venn diagram in one <laughs> and, and we'll talk at length about this in the second half of today's show. But before we get to that, uh, you know, Drew's going to talk about at his time at Fantastic Fest, uh, you know, this past weekend. But, and we're going to do that as part of the news portion of, of this week's fine tuning. And speaking of which, news portion of today's show is brought to you by fine tuning's new sponsor, which is Touring Plan's own travel agency. So if you're thinking about heading down to Walt Disney World in the not so distant future, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation. They'll even toss in a, a free subscription to the touring plans. So, again, if you're planning to go to Central Florida sometime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Fantastic Fest. You grew up in Austin, right? Yes, I did. I was born in Austin many, many moons ago. And, yeah, it's always really fun to go back. Um, Mm -hmm. Fantastic Fest, I think, is one of the best film festivals in the world Mm -hmm. and also one of the kind of most unsung. It's always a pleasure to get to go back uh, every year. Yeah, this year was no different. Had an absolute ball, saw some great movies, and Mm -hmm. now I'm back, Jim, fighting the good fight. Well, yeah. Now, toward that end, I mean, again, uh, you know, this is a a genre-based festival. They do horror, science fiction, fantasy, action, Asian, and it's the Fantastic Fest that existed since, what, March of 2005, and and everything got disrupted during the pandemic. How many of the Fantastic Fest have you done previously? This is my, oh boy, Mm -hmm. maybe my third or fourth. I went before the pandemic, obviously, and then last year I was a juror for the emerging talent, uh, which was really, really fun. I loved that. And, you know, they have a strong history with animation. I think Frank and Weenie premiered there. Um, It did. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously, the big one this year was the new Toxic Avenger. Mm -hmm. Yes, Jim, they remade the Toxic Avenger with a slightly more budget and movie stars. So, uh, yeah. Half the charm of Toxie is he, he barely, you know, those films are made for pocket change, but that's yes. their charm. Yes. Now, again, this was at the, the Alamo Draft House, the, now the South Lamar. Yes, the South Lamar location. Have you ever been to uh, South by Southwest? It's one of the theaters they use. Oh, okay. Okay. What was interesting was that this year mm-hmm. <laughs> they had remodeled the theaters. They had taken yeah. out. The, yeah. the benches and mm-hmm. the, that kind of step down mm-hmm. and put in new seats that recline, which is amazing. But mm-hmm. they lost 150 seats from the overall theater. Oh. So last minute, they built a theater with about 40 seats in the lobby. When oh, you used to be able to wait for your movie in the air conditioning, yeah. that was no more, Jim. Instead, oh. you were standing out in the over 100 degree heat waiting oh. for your movie to get called. It was not great. I fully expect things to be more on their feet next year. Uh, okay. as, as far as I know, this thing was completed like last week. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of, uh, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but I, I still had a great time. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fully expecting next year to be a little bit more streamlined. Okay. But, but again, if you, you think back to the, the original Alamo draft house, that the one that opened in 97 on Colorado street, wasn't that the one where you sat on hay bales? Um, <laughs> I remember that theater and I remember kind really? of, you know, at the, at the time you had to kind of like cajole yourself to get in. And what's interesting mm-hmm. too, 
I think mm-hmm. in like 99, I was at South by Southwest and they did mm-hmm. a trauma retrospective as part of South by Southwest. And all oh. the movies were in that original draft house, which as <sighs> Jim is alluding to yeah. was a dive and, but absolutely the most charming, wonderful oh, place to see a movie. That would have been a, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a great place to especially see a series of trauma films. So yes, I, absolutely. Yes. But again, that all I've heard from friends who, who, and again, I never got to the original draft house, but they, they, they always, they, it was one of these things where it's like charm meets fire trap. I get you know, it. Oh, absolutely. Getting, yeah. I mean, right off of sixth street, I'm sure the building was constantly in threat of a drunk driver just plowing into it. Okay. Yeah. No, it was, it was a very charming space. And, you know, when they moved into the Ritz up the street, that was actually on six. That was a lot of fun. And now that is, that is no longer. Mm-hmm, a thing mm-hmm. either. I drove by at this time and it's like a comedy place or something. It was one of the casualties of the COVID-19 mm, closures, cool. but hey, fantastic fest. It's going strong and that's okay. what's important. Eight days. Uh, did you go for the, the full eight or did you just ninja in? Ninja no, I was out? just, I, yeah, I was there from Thursday to Sunday, so I okay. saw the first secret screening, which was mm-hmm. uh, Emerald Fennell's uh, Saltburn, which was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to see a few great films and then, yeah, Came back. Jim, your friend Robert Kennedy Jr. was on my flight home, which, um, yeah. Okay. (laughs) And you didn't open the door for him at 30? Yeah. I farted on him as I walked past. Yeah. Glad to have you back from Austin. Uh, you know, and again, I love that you broke the story about Wild Robot earlier this week, but have to ask, did you you like the interview I did with Dave? Yeah. It's so funny. I, my ex just reached out to me about, I have to get Dave to sign the revised Oswald book that he did the the second version when they found yeah. the other ones but that sort of it's like oh you need to get a hold of Bossert and you need to get this book signed for me so it's like but no you you, you did a great job you guys were, were a little bit all over the map but it was fun it was a lot you of know, fun you know listen so. it was just a couple of guys hanging out there you go. Talking about go. Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, who, what's, what's better than that? This is true. Did, by the way, did you, do you get a copy of his book or? I haven't gotten a copy of the book. He has no idea who his publicist is. So I have to, <laughs> I have to figure out. If you know, oh. if you know who to bother, Jim, let me know. And I will, okay, uh... will do. Okay. In the past week, we had a couple of interesting trailers drop. First and foremost, this one for uh, Pencils versus Pixels, the, uh, you know, the film coming from Strike Back Studios. Did you know this was in the work? I didn't, not until it was done. And, and mm-hmm. we've been reached out to about this. We might have some, some folks. Yeah. From no, 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 no. I, I have been waiting for a documentary on this topic since November of 1995 when the, the first Toy Story arrived in theaters. Uh, this is the log line, folks. Uh, Pencils versus Pixels is a celebration of the unique magic of 2D hand-drawn animation and an exploration of how the Disney renaissance of the late 1980s and early 1990s led to an animation boom that was quickly upended by a computer animation revolution that followed. And just from the trailer alone, I mean, narrated by Migna Wen, and we have appearances by Glenn Keane, Seth MacFarlane, Jorge Gutierrez. But again, this topic, somebody finally wading in to that moment where the world changed. So is this thing being released theatrically at all? 
I think it's both. Okay, so November 7th. Can't promise anything here, folks. We did get reached out to by the publicist, and there's a number of folks they were offering up that, uh, frankly, Drew and I would love to talk to. So yes, we'll we, we will we do, do at here. least at least one interview mm-hmm. with someone from this. Yeah, it looks it looks really interesting. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to market it because obviously you can't use any Disney imagery mm-hmm. in the promotional materials. But yeah, yep. it, this thing is firmly rooted in the Disney Renaissance through the kind of revolution. Yeah. And I love that. I, I I love that the fact that at the time, I mean, if you think about it, Lion King opens summer of 94, biggest success ever for the company. But at the same time, now I'm blanking the name of the documentary where that, uh, you know, uh, narrated by Don Hahn, where they're at the, the party for the celebration for the Lion King. And he's talking about, yeah, this is when the wheels are coming off. Which one yes, is that? Uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty. Okay, this is coming at it from, you know, the artists that were in that moment that suddenly saw their world change. And in fact, for me, again, we were just talking about November of 1995, again, when the original Toy Story first arrived in theaters. But equally significant, at least as far as I'm concerned, do you remember the Treehouse of Horror for that year? This would have been October 29th. It was the, the 6th. Treehouse of Horror, but this is the one that had the Homer cubed story. Yes. Uh, oh, did that Homer, was, Homer that was C- such a big deal. Totally. I, in fact, Pacific Data Image did the, the animation of the, of the 3D Homer walking through the landscape. In fact, if you think about it, you know, this thing riffed on Tron. It made fun of the CG cliches of the time. I think at one point he, Homer looks down into a pool of water with waves and fish and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's a line he says, you know, the effect of, man, this place looks expensive. I feel like I'm wasting a fortune just standing here and just to sort of underlined circle and a dent here, folks. That was why, at least at that time, nobody thought that they'd ever be a successful CG film because they were just so expensive to make. Toy Story comes out three weeks later, costs $30 million to make at the time, makes $192 million just in North America, an additional 80, 181 overseas, worldwide box office of $374 million. And what Toy Story earned changed Hollywood forever. By the way, DreamWorks, circling back to you know what Drew was talking about at the top of today's show, DreamWorks actually buys PDI in 2000, but prior to that, they were sort of a contractor, right? Yeah, they were oh, a vendor. DreamWorks. Um, yeah. There we I go. Mean, and, yeah. and at the same time, they were doing Waldo, you know, around that same time for uh, they were. Muppets 3D Muppets and also 3D. on the Jim Henson show, the Jim Henson Hour. They were. Yeah. Just... Uh, they, they were a great studio. It was sort it of was. sad to see them get gobbled up by DreamWorks it, because they did such was. great work. I just bought a copy of, it was called Cinemagic by Starlog. And it's literally summer of 86 issues. So I promise her I'll get you a copy of this because I know you're working on your 80s, 90s Disney thing. There's an 11 page feature on the making of Captain EO. In the middle of this issue is also a story about what's going on in computer animation in 1986, where the height of what was going on was the adventures of Andre and Wally B. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just again, you know, I miss Cinemagic so much. And I remember they did a a special issue on Batman, Mm -hmm. the animated series. 
that was, I remember I would like, that was like my Bible as a kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would go back and forth through that thing. Speaking of Batman, the animated series, did you see the mask of the phantasm has been released in 4k? I was kind of surprised to see that, but yes, again, I have my shopping list this week. For example, I have been to my multiple targets looking for, you know, Ruby Gilman, teenage Kraken. Cause I, I wanted to buy a physical copy as opposed to, you know, hopping on Amazon and it just. I I can't find one. They're actually getting rid of their physical media sections in many stores. I think that the vinyl section is probably safe just because of how amazingly that's sort of been, you know, the resurgence of that has been. But yeah, all the DVDs and Blu-rays are going to be gone from most Target stores. That would explain. I mean, literally this week, all right, in our store. And I thought... Okay, so that they're moving it. They're no longer here, but I will come back and, and find where they've been moved to. And it's like, oh, well, did no. you talk about last week? Maybe it was this week, actually, that mm-hmm. the news dropped that mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is getting the Criterion treatment in December. No! Yeah. It's a moral imperative to buy physical media, yes. especially now the Target's tearing out the section. But, well, speaking of, we were just talking about Amazon, and I just ordered my copy off of Amazon of Disney A to Z, the sixth edition of the, the official encyclopedia. And I am old enough to remember the first edition. But what kills Did me Dave is... Did Smith this... come back from the grave? What, how, how is this? What is this? Well, new no, no, no. In fact, they explained this in the very back page that Disney Legend. Dave Smith, 1942, 2019, founded the archive, blah, blah, blah. Steve Vagnini has basically taken over for Dave and is keeping this book alive. But I, I have to tell you, I if back in the 80s and the 90s, especially, for example, after the Sherry Bobbins episode aired on The Simpsons, to, to think that one day I would be able to open the official Disney encyclopedia and go to page 798 of this 1,000 and 10-page book and go to Simpsons, the, with the purchase of 21st Century Fox in 2019, Disney acquired the long-running animated sitcom created by Matt Groening, which first aired on Fox in 1989. And by the way, how did the Simpsons meet the, the Bocellis in Feliz Navidad get by you and me in December of last year? Is that one of the, the shorts? That's one of the shorts, December oh. 15, 2022. And but somehow we missed that, bro. That cover of that Disney A to Z is so mm-hmm. bad. Holy I I, I know. They they look they're the Disney one hundred <laughs> branding, I think I would rather watch a dog drag its butt across the carpet. I mean, it is just it's so no. bad, the silver silhouette. Oh okay. <laughs> All right. Now now we're about to, to actually move to a, a certain issue. But just uh, thank you for opening the door here. Okay. Because what's lovely about doing a show with Drew Taylor is that there are things that Drew knows. And then there are <laughs> things that Drew can talk about in public. Yeah. Now uh take for example, we're Disney a hundreds. Kind of in the review now, right? Where we're, you know. Well, I mean, there is, there was, are some that would say that Wish is maybe the culmination of the Disneyland. Uh, there and we go. Once Upon and, a and, Studio. And, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, we're going to get to that in a sec. Okay. But are you now in a position where you can share? You heard about how Bob Iger felt about uh, what was done for Disney 100? Or do we have to yeah, I wait think he another was the, five he, years? What I had heard was that he was not very happy. In fact, mm-hmm. there was more kind of filigree prepared mm-hmm. for the theme parks and whatnot. And mm-hmm. supposedly when mm-hmm. he got back and he walked through and he just said, 
what is this? Stop it immediately. He hated that kind of like cheap, like brushed metal look, which is just so clearly like bad plastic. Um, although I saw that those horrible statues are sticking around and getting reprogrammed with new phrases or something at Walt Disney I World. Yes. I mean, I saw, I, I saw pretty much the same thing you saw, kind of the effect of them taking the Disney 100 icon off the front and then sort of, I, I don't know if they, they changed them from silver to gold, but either way, it's like, yeah, they were around for a while. Yeah. I think that there are good things that came out of the Disney 100, mm-hmm. but I think as a, cross-company, synergistic kind of event that it pretty much fell on its face. I don't know how you feel, Jim. Well, everything I've heard from speaking with folks who work the PR side of the street with with Disney, they immediately pivot to the pandemic and basically say, look, there was a plan for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary and there was a plan for Disney's 100. And both of them were five to seven years in the making and design. But then, you know, what happened to supply channels? What happened to staffing? Both of those kind of deeply planned projects got derailed by the pandemic. And it just sort of like, it's sad, it's tough, but it is what it is. To circle back to what you were just saying a moment ago about, of course, Disney Wish, which is coming out in theaters November 22nd. And then, of course, uh, what you were just talking about with Once Upon a Studio. And, and again, that's October 15th on ABC, right? That it drops there before theatrical. No, it, it's not on Wish. It's not on Wish no. now. No, oh, what I don't know if that's there? news or not, but yeah, wow. it's not. There will, there Holy is a plan cow. to go mm-hmm. wider with the short mm-hmm. after the debut on ABC, but at home. Okay, this is this is news. Holy cow! Um, all right, yeah, that, that's good. I was actually looking forward to seeing this thing in a theater. But... I, I agree, I, and I think mm-hmm. it's a perfect companion to Wish. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, she's the character. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I forget what her name is, but she's in the short. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I don't know if that's uh, God. I sh- these are. Th- <laughs> I'm just saying a lot of things I should be saying, but yeah, I, she's in the short. Um, okay, okay. So yeah, I mean, it seems like a good fit to me. I don't know. Maybe I. I don't know what the thinking is there is a full talk about cross company platforms Mm -hmm. from what i understand from animation they are Mm -hmm. super happy with how the studio is treating the short and the support that is going on behind it so Mm. i would just say it's it's coming and Mm. you'll everyone everyone that Mm -hmm. listens to this podcast Mm -hmm. whether or not they have linear television or streaming or whatever Mm -hmm. will see this short this month at some point so just okay take heart Yeah. All right. Well, now to pivot to Disney Wish. And again, we got our teaser trailer. We now have our first official trailer. It's that line, Drew. I get in the middle of the trailer is a, a line to the effect of, you know, comes a story a century in the making. And again, I, like I said, you know, there were things Drew knows and then there are things that Drew can talk about. And uh, you're still on em- embargo on a lot of stuff in regard to it. I am, right? but yeah, I can talk broadly about it. Okay. I mean, I think that what that means, and people have mm-hmm. written about this already, that there's kind of like Easter eggs and things. And mm-hmm. there's even a group of characters that are kind of like surrogates for the seven dwarfs, which I think mm-hmm. they released a photo of her kind of friends. Yeah. So you're okay. going to see a lot of that. It's not going to be like, I mean, there there will be Easter eggs and hidden shout outs and things like that. But that's the kind of like reinterpretation of mm-hmm. Disney mythology 
that you'll see in Wish. But I thought that new trailer was great. No, I I thought they did a great job. And but more to the point, Disney evidently is really really happy with what happened when it dropped online uh, Wednesday this past week. What it it, it surpassed the viewing that Frozen 2's trailer got. Like what is it? Sixty six point five million views across all social platforms, including uh, twenty nine million views on TikTok. And wow, uh, take that strange world. The movies that have been released since Frozen. Yeah, like, yeah. come on, guys. Right. I love that they sent that to to Hollywood Reporter too. Like, it was this big scoop. It's like mm-hmm. Disney no. Disney trailer does well, says Disney. Yeah, I know, I know. But at the same time, it's, you know, face it. As somebody who we're covering animation, and I just, for example, you know, the day we're we're recording the show, Paw Patrol: The Mighty Movie, uh, is number one at the box office, which. It's kind of a big deal. I mean, this is the third, just the third animated film in all of 2023 to open at number one. And before that was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And then, of course, uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. This is good news for people who work in animation, right? Especially with the end of... I mean, they've already announced the third movie that'll be out in 2026. Families love it. I've mm-hmm. never seen a second of Paw Patrol, but you know what? Even with Nova, you don't, you know, just... She's more of a bluey girl. Oh, uh, well, there so, we go. Yeah. You, know, you know, an Australian ranch shock. I get it. My yes. mistake. Yeah. Okay. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the news portion of this week. We're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we're going to take a look at that Toy Story fun day football thing that, that happened earlier today. But, don't threaten me with a good time, Jim. But first, this. And we're back. Oh, you were just talking about the Disney A to Z, the sixth edition from Disney Editions. But again, that's that's kind of the massage, carefully edited Disney history. If, on the other hand, you want the real unvarnished warts and all history, uh, this book actually got by me earlier this year. Uh, it was published in March of this year from Lancer's Press. But this is the latest Floyd Norman how the Grouch stole Chris or Disney. Welcome to the Tragic Kingdom. Does he still work for Disney? How is he putting well, this he, out? So no, this is the this is the beauty part. Floyd is now eighty eight and basically retired. And so I think what you'll especially enjoy about this book, Drew, is these are all of the mean Michael Eisner cartoons that he held back. I mean, oh, some I of these, that. you've seen some of these before, but on the other hand. For example, Floyd has a section in here. You know, there's five or six different cartoons about Disney dealing with the fact that they made, you know, Tarzan in 1998 and conveniently forgot to put any African American people in a film set in Africa. And and of course, only Floyd can sort of weigh in on that issue. Or I, for that matter, I mean, he put you right in the middle of the battle uh, with Disney and Pixar. And what's especially interesting about this book, it's Eisner choosing his successor. And there, there's some amazing, there's a great gag in this book where it's suddenly young Frankenstein, where Eisner is turning to, to Bob Iger and said, so Igor, get over here. And so it's like, no, it's not Igor, it's Igor. Well, they told it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Floyd is a legitimate Disney legend for a reason. But what's also great about Floyd is Floyd tells the truth. So if you, you want to get a truthful take 
triple funny take on what Disney was like the 80s and the 90s and into a little bit of the 2000s. Pick up a copy of How the Grouch Stole Disney. You know, Jim, um, while we're talking about books, I got a book to uh, mm-hmm. recommend as well to which everybody, is? Mm-hmm. which is called Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever. It is oh. out at the end of the month by mm-hmm. J.T. Putnam Sons. Mm-hmm. It is excellent, and it has some great Disney history, actually, in terms mm-hmm. of when they went over to Buena Vista Television. Oh, that is wow. when it really became Siskel and Ebert in, I think, 86. Mm-hmm. And including a very fun anecdote about Katzenberg actually calling their office and saying, can they be nicer to our movies? No. Which they promptly ignored. But it is actually a wonderful book. You know, it's it's so interesting you bring up. Siskel Neighbor, because I was just re- listening to the most recent, uh, you must remember this. And uh, th- it's actually about Crash, the Cronenberg film. And the host actually talks about it. This was one of the most brutal fights that Siskel and Ebert had ever had on air. The whole notion of they really went at each other about that movie. Um, oh, that's cool. Uh, it's, uh, when again is the... the, the it's out on things? October 24th. It is written by my buddy Matt Singer, who does an absolutely wonderful job of talking to so many people, you know, digging into the archives. You know, over the pandemic, my wife and I watched so many episodes on YouTube because there, you, there's no way of reproducing them because of the rights to all those clips, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which at the time was a real feat to get those clips. In fact, in the early versions of the show, they had to actually write down what mm-hmm. clips they wanted. They would actually zero a mm-hmm. print or whatever and get these exclusive clips, which you could only see on their show, which was a big draw at the time just to see any. Yeah. In a movie. But yeah, it's uh it's a really fascinating history of the show and of them as people. Just lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I miss them both terribly. So, I'm not on Santa Cares. I mean, you know, that, and it, I think it speaks volumes. I mean, it also it's something of the time when you think about how huge they were. It's ironic to live in a rotten tomatoes age where how many nobodies vote and determine what a film's fate is in the box office were those two. Yeah. And also, obviously watching the specials they did from Disney and Jim Studios were always so much fun. I think they did the Oscar show. They did. (laughs) Always. And speaking of fights, Mm -hmm. there was one of those Oscar shows where Siskel revealed the ending of The Crying Game. Do you remember this? (laughs) (laughs) And Ebert just came after him. It was so great. Oh, no. Oh, all right. Please. I, okay. I'm going to go to the finish here today, order a copy of Matt's book. And again, one more time with the title. Opposable Thumbs. Opposable yes. Thumbs. Oh, yes. That, 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 even a great, great title. title. Oh, yes. Cool. Yes. Okay. All right. Now to pivot to talking about Toy Story Fun Day football <laughs> to frame going into this. What's kind of intriguing about this is that NFL viewership Drew has been declining for a number of years now. I mean, for example, just uh, the past year, uh, 2022, it slipped by 3%. You know, it went from, uh, what, 17.1 million viewers to 16.7 million viewers. And the other thing that to be frank, is concerning people in broadcasting and and also, to be honest, the people who buy ad time on football broadcasts is the average age of your average American viewing football at home is 50. And in the world of advertising, that is not really a desirable demographic. I'm 64, Drew. 
And, you know, that in the eyes of Madison Avenue, I am a life support system for a wallet. And they're more interested in what are you buying for your 30-year-old daughter? That intrigues me. Whereas you, the 64-year-old, I don't care about you. And and again, the, the thing with the 50-year-old, you know, average age of a football, you know, viewer, it's like, yeah, that's not good. The NFL decided to do about 10 years ago to deal with this issue. They, they decided, okay, let's explore the idea of uh, increasing our, our audience internationally. So that's when they launched the NFL International Games, which for 10 years now, they've been doing football games over in London. And then, but there was also a concerted effort to go after a younger audience, sort of tying into Disney's infamous cradle to grave strategy. And this entire project, the Toy Story Fun Day Football, came out of the Innovation Strategy Office at ESPN. They've been exploring alternate telecasts to key events. The whole conceit of this is that it's the game, the very same game that's being played live in Wembley Stadium in London, again, as part of the NFL's international series. The game is also being played at the same time in Andy's room from the Toy Story films, with each of the, the Falcon and, and Jaguar players that are on the field being uh, having an animated representation. But again, it, it's in the room. So, for example, the goalposts are represented by alphabet blocks. You know, one is piled up so it says G-O-A-L, and then the other opposing one is you know, P-O-S-T. And everything in this thing is animated. For example, the two play-by-play folks, Booker McFarland and Drew Carter. In fact, what's kind of interesting, if you go online now, you can see the motion capture setup they did to, as they're commenting on the game, it's them in real time being created as action figures. In fact, also Pepper Pursley, who this... She's from ESPN's kid side. She's a a young sports reporter. They had her down on the field, but again, they were doing her doing color on the broadcast, again, as as an action figure. And what did you get to see of the stuff that that you were mentioning that folks over at Pixar Point, Pixar Place, that they were showing? Yeah, they were showing basically, yeah, it was was TJ over at uh, Pixar Post was Mm -hmm. had some videos up on social media. The the kind of real-time stuff looked interesting. I I was more into the details of Andy's room. There's like Mm -hmm. this great kind of helmet with the Pixar ball on Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But I wanted yeah. to say, Jim, that, you know, this is not a new concept that that since 2021, there have been NFL games that have been simulcast on Nickelodeon mm-hmm. that incorporate SpongeBob material mm-hmm. as well as Nickelodeon IP loudhouse mm-hmm. stuff. And that this year, actually, this upcoming year, mm-hmm. that CBS Sports and Nickelodeon are teaming for the first ever Super Bowl simulcast on Nickelodeon, which again will have exclusive SpongeBob content. They're calling it, I think, the Slime Bowl uh, mm-hmm. or something. This is not a unique to Disney idea. I think Disney probably did it better than anybody because this animation is very, very cool. But mm-hmm. that, you know, that what you're talking about, this kind of like cradle to the grave idea with the NFL mm-hmm. is something that they're really embracing. I'm sure that the NFL won't be able to charge as much for these games if there aren't the kind of viewers that they need. But again, you know, the problem is that it's a it's a live football game. So, you know, for example, there are flags on the play. So when the action would stop, what would be interesting is you'd see them sort of reach into a pile of pre, especially created for this event, pieces of animation that they could throw up on screen. Now, some of it was stuff like trivia. 
You know, what was interesting is they toggled back and forth between NFL trivia, like, you know, which field is wider, an American football field or a soccer field? And by the way, that's soccer. At the same time, they'd also lean into Toy Story stuff to the, you know, sort of a question like, who was Jesse's original owner in Toy Story 2? And you, of course, know who that was. Who was it? <laughs> Emily, come Emily, on. Emily, aye, who aye, lives on the side the, the side of the road with good Emily? Will. The Emily erasure will not stand on this episode. There we go. Uh, and, but at the same time, they also try to sort of bring the players in in a way that would appeal to, to kids. Like, for example, Evan Engram from the Jacksonville Jaguars. When it came time to share a stat, stat from him, it was like, well, you know, his favorite toy growing up uh, were a Spider-Man action figures. And but again, this is this is a tough Venn diagram to work. Toy Story fans and football fans, and and let's not forget about you know you also have folks in the UK who were watching this who just don't care for. Or, uh, you know, American football. So and they don't they, care about Toy Story either, you Jim. They say, "Oh, look at this Toy Story. Don't give a twig about that, do we? Got other things to worry about over here, we do." Um, no, did you see the Duke Kaboom? How was the Duke Kaboom halftime show? The Duke Kaboom thing was actually pretty cool. I mean, now mind you. Again, you had these weird sops to the fact that, all right, you know, we, we have folks from the UK who are watching this. So, for example, when Duke Kaboom did his big motorcycle jump, it was over five toy-sized uh, London double-decker bus. You know, and, and more to the point, you know, they, they created an element of suspense because evidently, you know, uh, you know, Evil Emperor Zerg was looking in and, you know, was he going to do something to disrupt the jump? To circle back to try to make this work for the, the audience in the UK, I mean, <laughs> these weird moments where you'd suddenly cut away to like Bo Peep on the side of the field who is now playing soccer with her, her sheep or, or an attempt to, Hey, kids at home, you know, in, in the UK, it's like, you know, how if somebody threw an especially long pass, it's like, why that was almost 360, 60 feet long, like the height of Big Ben. And at the same time, they were trying to do the sort of, it's a football game, and so you eat food during a football game, and so, uh, so they, they, the, you know, Drew and Booger got their a pizza delivered by the Pizza Planet truck. I, I, again, they were trying, they were trying. I, and I also have to say, not perfect. I mean, you know, for example, sometimes players, when they were exiting the field, would literally walk through Slinky Dog, who, uh, by the way, you know, they, they could have put a little more time and more money into the Slinky Dog's animation cycle. He was on camera quite a bit and had like three moves. On the other hand, there were, were fun little things where Woody and Buzz were being chased down the sidelines by Emperor Zerg and, and they, they found ways to bring in even back catalog characters like the Speak and Spell was there commenting on plays on the field. Was Rocket Gibraltar there? I look. What was kind of interesting is they had the the two plush characters from Toy Story 4, from the, the carnival settled. In fact, they, what was kind of interesting, whenever they would throw a flag on a play, they had the same sort of animation for the Blue for Rabbit. Ducky and Bunny? 
for Ducky and Bunny, and Bunny just did not seem to be into the game. <laughs> was sort of, they throw the flag down and they look at it with complete disinterest, like, what is this at my feet here? But anyway, and the other, I think the funniest part was that I, I want to say at one point it was either Booger or Drew when there was a particularly stunning play late in the game mentioned that, oh my God, you know, that, that, that you know, that left the players gobsmacked. And they, they literally had to put up a card to explain what the word gobsmack meant to Americans. You know, it's just sort of like it's overwhelmed with wonder, surprise, and shock. Sounds like I was right to sleep in today, Jim. This is the impression I'm getting from all of this. <laughs> all right. Maybe you're not wrong. And it's I'll, actual... I'll look up clips. I'll look up my boy. I love I love Duke. Well, well, now, here's the interesting thing. Supposedly, as of tomorrow, Monday, October 2nd, uh, again, we're recording this on Sunday, October 1st, um, it's a, this show, the Toy Story Fun Day Football, is supposed to be archived at both Disney Plus and ESPN. So the beauty part of it is it would be there and you can fast forward through through parts. That's now that is interesting because mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. clips or rebroadcasts from NFL games are notoriously difficult to actually do because of rights issues. Maybe the animation of it all got around that that's i think I, i'm so glad you brought that up because again you know what was kind of interesting is they literally in the middle of the broadcast did that the, the very piece of boilerplate you, you just described the fact of waving people off about you know posting clips and that sort of thing so i i was intrigued as well but to wing back to what you were saying earlier about how cbs and nickelodeon have done this previously i'm going to be kind of intrigued to see on the heels of how Toy Story Fun Day Football is received, whether or not Disney circles back on this idea. And especially, I mean, remember, we're in this interesting time where, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen at Disney with uh, legacy media. And it's various linear uh, television things. And, And given that both ABC and ESPN have been rumored to be up for sale. I just, again, I'm going to be kind of intrigued to see if, if there's any further dalliance on the side of the street and more to the point, which IP they might go with next time. Just throw that question out there. Is there any set of characters, uh, Disney or Pixar, you'd want to see uh, get the, the fun day football treatment going forward? Anyway, and speaking of fun, uh, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, which is hosted by Drew and his equally talented co-host, Charles Hood. You guys are, are coming up on kind of a, a really significant month for the latest uh, Mission Impossible movie, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Because, what, it's a week from the day the show goes live. Uh, that would be Yes, Tuesday. it'll be on digital. Digital. Yeah. And, and then three weeks after that, the Blu-ray. Yeah, it'll be out on Halloween, the the Blu-ray, um, which is great because we love that line that Angela Bassett says in Fallout when she says the IMF is Halloween. So the IMF is literally Halloween this year. We're so excited about that. Well, so no, we got, I, what? Well, no, no. I have to ask, given that, that you know, we, again, digital on on the tenth of this month and physical, you know, uh, Blu-ray at the first. You gotta have some killer shows coming on Light the Fuse. Yeah, right? we do. I mean, we have. Uh, I think uh, this week we're in the middle of our three-part Eddie Hamilton special. Uh, who's the editor of Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, and he edited Fallout as well as Top Gun Maverick. And mm-hmm. he has some great stories. And what's great about that is that it actually ties into the home video release. Because there's a great new special feature with him and Christopher McQuarrie talking about how they edited the mm-hmm. movie. And there's a feature-length commentary track with McQuarrie 
and Eddie on the home video release. So just oh. perfect. Um, and also, I, I encourage people to listen to our Charles Parnell episode, which we just put up. And uh, it's all about his his part in Dead Reckoning Part 1 as well as Maverick. So, yeah, a lot of fun there. That's the official Mission Impossible podcast there, folks. And speaking of podcasts, we have a few here at Itching Pill Media. We, we, we'd love you to check out. I, again, we have, of course, Disney Dish I do with Len Testa. We have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, who, by the way, has his own fun outside podcast, uh, 32nd Street. We also have... You ready uh, for Loki, Jim? That is dropping this week. Uh, dropping is... this week. I may or may not have seen the first four episodes, and I may or may not have had the time of my life watching oh. them. They are so good. They are so fun. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm but, breaking a okay. or something. Okay, no, 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 but that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, good news. And also, well, again, you know, the, the other thing that ends this week is uh, we get, you know, episode the, the season finale, uh, hopefully not the series finale, for Ahsoka, and very much looking forward. They're ending Ahsoka and starting Loki in the same week. Almost like a real TV station that would actually yeah. have more than one show every six months that people want to watch. I have to admit, I was kind of intrigued by that as well. I mean, it just was very unlike Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, anyway, also want to bring uh, remind folks that coming soon, like maybe this week, are Len and my new project, Disney Unpacked, our first ever video series, uh, which we did in collaboration with veteran Imagineer Jim Shule, who spent 30 plus years at Walt Disney Imagineering, making some of your very favorite attractions for the park. So anyway, that's going to debut over on Patreon. So keep an eye out for that. See beyond that, uh, you know, again, I so enjoy you on social media, Drew, but are you, have you officially departed from, from Twitter? At this point, no, or... I'm still there, Jim. It's like being in an abusive relationship. You know, I, th- mm-hmm. I say I'm going to leave. I say I'm going to leave, and then mm-hmm. makes me, mm-hmm. you know, a cake, and I have to stay, even though I'm getting beat up. It's, I mean, it's just bad. But I'm still it there. Is. Drew Taylor, uh, like a tailored shirt, well, everywhere. Just like Mr. Taylor, I am still at, at Twitter and X. Uh, also on Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and not Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And then finally, if you folks could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts. And not just rate and review the show you're listening to right now, fine tuning, but also if you could put in a good word for Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, that would be cool as well. And if you really, really like what you heard you today, you want to go over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that'd be cool. And I think that's going to do it for this week. But but yeah, again, uh, just want to remind folks, as Drew mentioned early on, Matt Singer's, you know, opposable thumbs. Opposable thumbs. It is great. Uh, Pre-order uh, it. Yeah. Okay. Get it there now. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back soon.